Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. It's good to gather together in the name of the Lord. Good to see you all here this morning. My name is Daniel Bunn. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, we had a slight change of plans today. Uh, Pastor Dave was supposed to be here leading, but unfortunately he and his wife and their three little ones have all been sick. So we want to lift them in our prayers. And so I awoke yesterday to a text message from Pastor Adam saying, hey, what are you doing tomorrow morning, Daniel? Um, so in the minutes and minutes I've had to prepare for this sermon, uh, I've decided we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 40. If you do want to go ahead and flip over there before I read that here in a moment. And as I begin, I know that no matter what happens today, I can rest confident that for at least the next about six days, the sermon I preach right now will be the best sermon you've heard this year so far. So that helps. The worst sermon also, I guess, but that's a whole other thing. We're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 40. And again, if you didn't have the chance to grab the communion elements when you came in, we will be taking communion at the end of the sermon. So I invite you to step back and grab that at some point. All right, Psalm chapter 40, and I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 5. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Father, we do thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in the presence of one another and in the presence of you. And I do ask that in these moments, our hearts will be open and receptive to what it is the Spirit might be saying to us. In all things, may we strive to know you and to follow you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. This passage opens with a word that might be hard for many in our cultural context to receive. It's the word wait. The word wait. We're not people who really like to wait, are we? I mean, if we go to get fast food and it takes three minutes instead of one minute, start to get a little anxious. Or we get on the highway and it's traffic. It's going to take 15 minutes instead of 10 minutes to get home. We're, we're squeezing around trying to see how many cars ahead we can get. Uh, we're really, we start to get anxious anytime we have to wait in traffic. I mean, these days we don't even have to wait for TV. When I was a kid, and I hate that I'm old enough to say that and mean it, but when I was a kid, if you wanted to watch a show, you had to watch at a certain time and on a certain day. 
You want to hang out with Steve Urkel? Great. Friday night at 7 p.m. He'll be there. Not, none of this on-demand stuff, right? We, we have forces at work in our culture on a daily basis that are molding, shaping, forming us into people who don't know how to wait. And that can be good, but it might make it challenging for us then to hear a text that opens with the word, wait. I waited patiently for the Lord. A few years ago, I was in the post office in late December. And if you ever go to the post office in late December... You know, it's a zoo. People are frantically trying to get out last packages before Christmas uh, to get them delivered out around the world. I open the door to the post office and I'm already in line. So I knew I would be there for some time, but luckily I had, an, I had my phone and I had an article that I had been wanting to read, so I'm ready to sit back and read. Well, the man who came in after me apparently did not have an article to read. And he had forgotten to give us all the memo that this was his personal post office and no one else was supposed to use it. He opened the door, he saw the line, and he immediately starts to utter some profanity and he's grumbling and he is not happy. So I knew this was going to be a fun time of waiting. So I pull up my phone, I'm trying to read my article, but as I'm the closest living object to this man, he's, can you believe this? Look, where do all these people come from? Why do they need to be here right now? The whole time, he's just moaning and grumbling about having to wait. Finally, we get to the front of the line, and it's my turn to go off and leave this Grinch behind. So I walk over to my window, and I sort of breathe a sigh of relief. But of course, the next available window to open was immediately to my left, so here again, we're reunited. Now, as I'm waiting for the attendant to deal with my letter, I'm, I'm sort of eager now to see how this whole soap opera will resolve itself. So I'm kind of listening in, watching as this man comes to the counter and he slams his package down and he sighs this angry sigh and he's wanting to make clear to the attendant how upset he is that he had to wait. And then, I kid you not, it was one of the greatest Christmas miracles I've ever experienced. He gets up there, he looks this woman in the face and she has this straight but kind and gentle look on her face. She looks down at his package, she looks back at him and she says, Oh, sir, I see that you've already had this posted, so just so you know in the future, you don't have to wait in this line. You could just walk over to this window and drop off the package. I was, forgive me, Lord, for celebrating in this man's misery, but it was, yeah. <clears throat> we don't like to wait. We're not people who like to wait. So I want to spend some time this morning diving in a little bit more deeply into this word and what's going on, what it might not mean and what it might mean. So when you hear the word wait, you might be inclined to think that is the opposite of what maybe this man was doing in the post office. It's the opposite of someone trying to go do something. It's the opposite of human activity. You might think that what this psalm is putting before us is two choices. Either go try to do something or sit back and do nothing. Wait. That might be what you think the psalm is saying. Don't try to accomplish anything on your own. Don't worry about the troubles of this world. Sit back and relax. Everything will be just fine. Now, whatever truthfulness there might be to that statement, I want to suggest today that I think there's more going on in this psalm. I think the, the challenge, the tension that this psalm wants to put before us goes a little bit deeper than that. It's invite, inviting us to think at a deeper level than that. So what might this mean when it says to wait? 
Well, the first clue can be found in the text that I've already read now a couple times. So if you have your text in front of you, Psalm chapter 40, verse 1, it says again, I waited patiently for the Lord, okay? But now look at the second part of that verse. He turned to me and heard my cry. He turned to me and heard my cry. Now, what does that statement imply? He, the Lord, turned to me and heard my cry. Well, minimally, it implies I was crying out. I wasn't just doing nothing. I was crying out to the Lord in my despair, the one who's speaking these words. He's in this pit. He's sinking down in the mud. He's stuck. Minimally, he's crying out. So whatever else wait means, it at least includes crying out. And this is a pattern well established in scripture. You can see this all over the place. It starts back in Exodus. We have the children of Israel. They're oppressed by Pharaoh. They're enslaved and they cry out to God in their oppression. And God hears their cry and comes to deliver them. And that pattern that starts there runs throughout the whole Bible of people crying out in their time of need and it mattering to God. God hears it, God responds. So whatever else we might say about the word wait, it at least includes that we cry out, that we don't just sit back and do nothing. But then there are other details that might fill this in even more fully. This word that's used here, wait, is used all over the place in the Bible, and I want to share a few examples with you. You're welcome to try to turn there, or you can just listen as I read along. But the first example comes to us from Hosea chapter 12, verse 6. Hosea 12, 6. Listen to what Hosea says. But as for you, return to your God, hold fast to love and justice, and wait, there's our word, and wait continually for your God. So do you hear what he's saying there? He puts wait alongside hold fast to love and justice. Hold fast to love and justice. So whatever waiting means, not only does it mean crying out, it also means holding fast to love and justice, which certainly is not just sitting back and doing nothing. Another example, Psalm 37, verse 34 Wait for the Lord and keep to his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. Here in this psalm, wait for the Lord is put alongside keep to his way. Again, whatever else that might involve, it certainly doesn't mean sitting back and doing nothing. Keep to his way. So cry out, hold fast to love and justice. Keep his way. Whatever we're going to say about the word wait today, it cannot mean do nothing. So something else must be going on. The choice before us in this text cannot be between doing something and doing nothing. Something else is at stake. And perhaps to get to that, one one other dimension of this text that might be helpful is to know that this word translated wait is also often translated hope. Hope for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Hope for the Lord. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word hope? We use this word in multiple ways, but one of the common ways we use this word is sort of as a synonym for wish. I hope I get that job. 
means I wish I would get that job. There's no basis, it's just a desire. I wish I would get it. Now, in the Bible, hope is much deeper, much more anchored than wish. It means more than that. It's not just some sort of free-floating desire. There are many different ways we might be able to talk about what hope is in the Bible, but I want to offer one, one attempt to define that. <clears throat> I would say this, that hope is meditating on what God has done in order to shape our expectations of what God could do. Meditating on what God has done in order to shape our expectations of what God could do. It's looking back and saying, man, if God did this, what could God do? It's open to the possibilities of what God could do. In other words, hope in the Bible, it's about the character of God. That's what's at stake. Who do we think God is? Who do we claim God is? It's about opening, opening ourselves to the possibilities in light of who we claim God to be for what God might do now and in the future. And we see this spelled out in the psalm as well. Back to Psalm 40, verses 2 through 4. Listen to this again. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. In other words, this one speaking, he, he's speaking literally out of the pit. And he's speaking about the deliverance he experiences. This is what God has done. So imagine what God will do, not only for me, but for others as well. Others will see what God has done for me and come to trust in God and what God might do for them as well. <clears throat> so where does this get us then? Well, as I said earlier, if we assume the tension between the text is doing something versus doing nothing, we might have run into some problems here. I want to suggest something else. I want to suggest another way of hearing what this text is saying in regards to the word waiting. I want to suggest to you that waiting is the remedy to human certainty in and acceptance of present realities. That waiting is the solution to a limited imagination. The problem being addressed is our limited imagination of who God is and what God can do. That's what I think is being addressed by this psalm. We, we regularly do this as, as humans, as Christians. This shows up all over the place. But one key area where this shows up is how much effort, how much striving we, we put toward answering these questions. We say, what must God do? What must God not do? We spend so much time and effort talking about what God must do and what God must not do. What I want to suggest is maybe we reorient and ask instead, what must God do? We might, maybe we should ask, what could God do? Or even, what can't God do? It's an invitation to remember that we sojourn with the one for whom nothing is impossible. 
If this is the one who has lifted us up out of the pit, out of the mire and the mud, and cleaned us off, then what can't this God do? It's the way of hope. It's the way of looking to the future with infinite possibilities in light of what we've experienced God doing in the past. It's an openness, an eagerness to see just how good God is and how great God is. One of my favorite examples in the Bible where this works itself out comes to us from John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, if you want to turn over there, you can. I'm going to summarize uh, the first part of this story before I get to the key part that I want to read to you. A well-known story. The, The chapter opens, Jesus is sort of just walking along, minding his own business with his disciples, and they come across this man who's blind. And the disciples, God bless those disciples, they see this man sitting there blind for probably most of his life, and the thing they think about is this. They ask, who sinned, this man or his parents, so that he was born blind? So he's been blind since birth, and who who sinned, whose fault is this? And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And then Jesus does something that, there's no other way to describe it, but he does something that is impossible. He gets down into the dirt, he spits in the dirt, mixes it around to make mud, and then lathers it all over this man's eyes. It's really one of the weirdest things that Jesus does in the whole Bible. There's no like obvious, like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I would, that's what you do when someone has some eye problems. You put mud mixed with spit on their eyes, of course. We all know that solution. No, it's, it doesn't, it's counterintuitive, it doesn't make any sense. There's no reason to think this is something he should do. Yet he does it. He puts it all over this man's eyes and then tells him to go wash. The man goes, he washes, and he can see. But if you've read John chapter 9, this is really the beginning of this story. Because what happens next is everyone in this man's life, they have no frame of reference for processing what, again, is literally impossible. Well, maybe he was never blind. Maybe he's faking it. Maybe he's still blind. Maybe it's a different guy. Maybe this isn't the same guy after all. Well, finally, they become convinced it is this man, and he has been healed. So now the religious leaders in particular are eager to try to trap Jesus for being a part of this. So that's where we want to jump into the story. This is verse 24 of John chapter 9. A second time they, the religious leaders, summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And then his response is one of my favorite responses in the whole Bible. He says, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. He doesn't say, well, you know, we know God must do this and God must not do that, and here are the rules and regulations we must... He doesn't know any of that. He's never even met Jesus before this moment. I don't know anything about this man. But the one thing I know for sure, I was blind, and now I see. And if this man is the sort of man who can make the blind to see... There are infinite possibilities for what he can do. This is the disposition of hope. This man embodies this. He doesn't have to have all the answers. 
But what he knows of who God is in light of what God has done for him opens his future to the possibility. This is hope. Now, one of the wonderful acts we get to participate in in the church is what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And we do this because Jesus himself gave us this gift as a gift of hope. He was gathered there with his disciples on the night on which he would be betrayed, and he knew the the despair they would soon experience. He knew how fragile their faith was and would be. And seeing them in their soon-to-be need, he took the bread, he gave thanks to God for it, and then he broke it and said to them, take and eat, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup, blessed it, gave it to them and said, take and drink, all of you, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. When we take this bread and we take this cup, we do it to look back to what God has done in Jesus. But we do so in order to inspire hope. If that is who God is, if that shows us something fundamental about the character of God, that he would give himself for us, then what can't God do? What won't God do for us? So as you take this bread and this cup in your seat, may this be for you a sign of hope, of what God has done for you and will continue to do for you in the days to come. Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.